Welcome to Storytelling with Data, the podcast where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters with best-selling author, speaker, and workshop guru, Cole nussbaumer Nafley. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. Hi, I'm Cole, and I'm here today with my friend Andy Cotgrave. Andy, welcome to the Storytelling with Data podcast. Hi, Cole. It is great to be here. I am super excited because we have a timely topic we are going to discuss, presenting virtually. And we're actually presenting virtually right now. We have some members of the community who joined in to watch live, which we'll be recording as well. And this is the raw version that they get. Those listening will get the refined, edited edition. For folks who want to learn more about that, you can do so at community.storytellingwithdata.com slash premium. So as I mentioned, I'm here with Andy Cotgrave. Andy is co-author of The Big Book of Dashboards. He's technical evangelist at Tableau. And Andy and I have actually had the opportunity to meet virtually a couple of times lately. Uh, I joined him for his If Data Could Talk series, where we discussed projects for teaching logic and math and data visualization with kids. Uh, This was on the more produced side of the spectrum. He and I also had a totally informal chat, which is where the seeds for this conversation came from. And actually, Andy, you've been on the Storytelling with Data podcast before. Where were we Mm -hmm. last time? Yeah, last time we were on the podcast, it was myself, uh, you, Steve Wexler, and Jeff Schaefer backstage at the Las Vegas Mandalay Bay Arena uh, prior to or after Ironvisor, one of the keynotes. yeah, a stadium where we would, or I'd been on stage with 5,000 people and 18,000 attendees at the conference. Hustle and bustle, different times, eh? The world has changed literally since then. Yeah. So backstage at the Tableau conference, sitting much closer than six feet apart. Yeah, and I should actually put this out here, given the topic of our conversation, which is that I have historically been pretty resistant to presenting virtually. Storytelling with Data, we're a remote team, so we're used to meeting and working virtually, but losing a dimension when it comes to teaching and workshops, that that seemed like too big of a trade-off. So I think one, I guess, silver lining of the situation currently is one of the lessons it's taught me is just to get over that and embrace the ways in which virtual can work. Andy, how do you feel about the shift to virtual? Well, it's uh, yeah, it, it's clearly been a massive transition of our lives in the last two months. Uh, you know, on a personal level, I've been working at Tableau for eight years, nearly nine, and I've always been a home worker. Uh, so I've had a slight advantage in that I'm much more used to working remotely than. Do a you lot have of an work. office that you go to at all, or you're entirely? Yeah, we um, I, my local office is the London office, and I I try and go there once a week, but I travel a lot around the world in previous times. Uh, so yeah, maybe once a month I'm in the London office, but primarily I'm here and it's actually been an advantage for me because in a world where I work remotely, but nearly everybody is in an office, it actually disadvantages me. Whereas now we're all remote. So it actually levels the playing field a bit. Um, 
and my home office is well established. I've got a nice standing desk. I've got three screens in front of me. So that's been pretty good on the personal level. Obviously, big challenges around. Well, and it's almost like I would remember this at Google, right, where we'd travel to another office on the other side of the room where the time zones are completely different and you'd become more empathetic as a result of that, right, of realizing like, oh, people are working crazy hours because they've yeah. got to be online when Mountain View is, for example. Have you felt that, right, where people are maybe more appreciative of all that you have been doing now that they see how hard some of this well, stuff is? Uh, well, uh, unfortunately, about... 80% of the work I do is with our headquarter office. So 80% of the work I've done has been with Seattle anyway. So I've always been eight or nine hours uh, ahead of people. So just as my I'm mentally ramping down at the end of every day, that's when all my colleagues wake up and like, Andy, Andy, Andy. I'm like, okay. So again, I, you know, it kind of levels the playing field for me personally, realized I'm in a fortunate bubble uh, there. But I, I, I have I've been exhilarated in the last two months with that with this need to really rethink how do you present to people in this environment. I've done it loads of times, but it's it's been exhilarating, right? So I'm I'm really excited to talk about it today. And what sort of virtual presenting are you doing? Uh, well, as uh, doing things like this uh, with Tableau, we've launched our own video series, If Data Could Talk, finding the intersections between data and life, bringing those stories to life. That's interview. Uh, we've been ramping up charts chat the, with Steve. On the Steve. Data, data could chalk, talk, what are some of the other topics? So I mentioned you and I chatted recently about using data and teaching kids. What other topics have you? Ah, well, it's been, it, we are trying, looking for diversity. So we spoke to Larry Samuelson, who's a Yale professor of economics about uh, game theory and economic recovery. We spoke to RJ Andrews, author of Info We Trust, about uh, Florence Nightingale. Uh, we've looked at all sorts of different diverse ways of telling data stories. Um, we've had people from the Kaiser Foundation, you know, using data for good. So it's, it's we're, we're trying to just bring across I mean, data is everywhere, right? And I just want to bring those stories to life. Um, if I have and an is that ambition, you talking with one other person? Yeah, generally we've uh, we've been uh, Amanda McCulloch, who's uh, one of the directors of Data Visualization Society, is co-hosting several episodes. We've got we're going to have many a bunch of different people interviewing a bunch of uh, different guests over time. But it's been really exciting to get that going. Um, and learn about remote video production, really ramp that up. And, and are I, you finding that people are more receptive to saying yes for being on the other side of that? Because one of the one of the anecdotes that I've heard people express is that people are much, uh, it's easier to get a hold of people, easier to get people to commit to things because there are less other demands, I guess, right? People aren't going into the workplace. Their schedules are maybe more open than they've been historically. I, uh, You know what, Cole? I've not really thought of that people have been saying yes to our requests i've just thought because we've got an amazing proposition for them <laughs> but maybe because they've got nowhere else to be um it could be that right i mean but we yeah we, we are we certainly seem to be getting enthusiasm from guests so uh yeah the other thing we're doing is chart chat uh that's so chart chat we that's talks about you know more specifically about data visualization and storytelling with Steve and Jeff and Amanda McCulloch. And that one's been really interesting because the format there is we, it's an hour long presentation or show and we do three five minute segments about a chart or a something, some story we found, some communication 
we do like a five minute mini presentation and then a seven or eight minute debate about it. And that's I I I've I've loved creating content for that because just thinking about how to build a slides and then how to just kind of finish and ramp up into a way that can enable Steve, Jeff, Amanda and I essentially to have an argument. Uh, it, it's been really exciting doing it that way. And the last thing, loads of remote presentations for customers and some a lot more facilitating remotely than I've ever done before. Really challenging. And where's the facilitating, uh, like where's the need for that coming up or what? Uh, we, uh, I, so I work with Tableau and we, we a lot of events uh, for, for slightly more executive audiences are, based around round tables. It's like they bring the execs together and the exe- executive audiences like to hear from each other rather than a sponsor. And these are great things to do in a big round table in a conference center or in a meeting room because you can see the whites of their eyes. How do you facilitate that kind of conversation when you're all in a gallery view has been an interesting challenge, uh, one I've really enjoyed doing actually. That's awesome. I want to come back and talk more about that as we get into some of these other topics that we have planned. So on the storytelling of data side, everything we're doing has moved virtual. We've historically done webinars. Those, if anything, we have more of them today than than we have historically, but the format hasn't really changed. The biggest shift we've made is in our client workshops, which then this, this was where I had the hang up on virtual, right? Where it's, you get such energy uh, mm. in the room, you know, when you're spending half a day or a day with a team, you can see the response, you can see the reaction, you can speed up and slow down and move around the room. And I just thought, no, shifting to virtual is not going to work for that. But it's been working. It means attacking things in some different ways and being thoughtful about this different delivery mechanism. Yep. But we're finding there's some really interesting opportunities right? When you shift to virtual that don't exist in the same way when you're there live. So that's been really interesting. Yeah, it, it totally is. I think the energy you feel in the room when you're doing a great presentation or a great workshop, you know, I mean, that that's what keeps me in my job. It's, it's just, you know, you walk out of that and think, right, I've got another year in this job because or another future in this job because it's just phenomenal, right? And yes, you are going to miss out on that physicality. But there are ways around it, right? There are ways around it. It is amazing how opening the microphones, getting people to type in questions, uh, using breakout rooms. I've not actually used breakout rooms yes. much. Oh, we've been doing that and, and it's been working amazingly. We can talk more about that. And and yeah, just getting bringing the bringing the audience into the webinar or the presentation, whatever word we want to talk about it, is an opportunity you have to embrace, right? And it's great that you've been doing it. Polls as well. Have you been using polling? Yes, we've been using polling and chat and questions. And I think one of the most interesting points that was actually, it was raised to me by a client. And this was one who had an interesting perspective because he'd been, it was actually to the last full day workshop in person that I had done uh, together with Mike on the team in London. And then we'd done some webinars for him. And then he had us do a virtual workshop with his team. And it was for, I want to say about 30 people. And he sent me a note afterwards and we had a nice exchange and he was thrilled with the virtual piece. And I thought this was a unique, unique perspective because he'd seen what it's like when you're there in person and then he'd seen the virtual. And because the side conversation that they were able to have across his team in chat, there was some really rich conversation that happened there that wouldn't have happened in the same way, right? Because you're not going to mm-hmm. start talking in the middle of the workshop. And then he also said it really leveled the playing field in terms yeah. of people 
were being vocal on chat who never would have spoken up in person in a workshop. So it, it, it does an interesting thing, maybe for some of the more introverted people attending, but it gives everybody an equal opportunity to participate, even if they don't normally have a loud voice. Yeah, I, um, I, I might go down a little uh, rabbit hole of facilitation here because I think the yeah. introvert extrovert thing is really important and, and as a presenter you can do loads of things to help both types of people um so in chart chat uh we, you know we normally presented and we take q a from people but the, the thing with the session would end after about an hour but uh chris love one of the tableaus at masters suggested why don't you do a after hours charts chat and have like 30 minutes as a as a more round table and let the audience uh contribute and it Oh, it was brilliant, right? It was really good. Um, but the thing, and, and for, for that introvert aspect, so I, I, I started to facilitate it and it's like, okay, here's, so laying out ground rules. Okay? We're all on mute. You know, if you want to say something, use the chat. If you want to say something, all right, I was asking people on the camera, raise your hands, right? You, you know, like raise your hands. You can see them. Yeah, physically raise your hands or use the hand icon in Zoom. Um, and then, and also watch for people nodding, or shaking their heads, right? You can still see that body language from from people, and then and even just their positioning, right? For people yeah, who have the camera yeah. on, are they leaning in and they're interested, yeah. or they're like sitting back or typing and multitasking? Yeah, and and then something I've learned as well is, you know, I I, I knew we had one introverted person on who, you know, I could kind of see a kind of leaning in, leaning out, and again, it was like say without opening a mic, it's like, okay, would you like to say something, right? You know, raise your hand if you have want to say something, it's fine if you don't. So rather than putting them on the spot, giving them the opportunity to say, yes, I want to volunteer the contribution. And another tiny thing I've discovered or learned is that if I know I'm going to come to you in 10 seconds, Cole, with a question, then I'm going to say, I'm going to say, Cole, I'm going to come to you in a moment, then I'm going to say my thing, and then I'm going to ask you the question, right? Because that is so smart. It gives people a little bit of time to prepare. Yeah. You know, and I can't guarantee you're paying attention to me right now, Carl, right? You know, I can see you're nodding at this particular moment, but, you know, I get, and, and then what do you think, Carl? <gasps> oh, I think, I think, like, you know, so it's just little things like that. And I think help get more people into the, into the conversation. Absolutely. And one of the things that we sort of, we shifted further per, from my direction in the virtual direction when we started to realize that that was where things needed to go in terms of trying to have all of the interactions be online. And we started using our storytelling with data community in some interesting ways in the workshop, some that which worked and some that we're still refining. Because what, what we found more recently is we're observing what's working, what's not, is really taking the things that we know work well in person and figuring out how can you best emulate that in the virtual environment. Right? Your, yeah. your uh, suggestion of having people physically raise their hand is one example of that. Or the other place that we've been playing with, uh, with great success and feedback are breakout rooms. It's part of the big value of being in person is that people can talk to each other and have these discussions and grapple with a makeover or an example and talk to mm -hmm. other people and get ideas through the course of that. And we recently discovered how beautifully Zoom does breakout 
breakout rooms and have been doing that as part of the workshops where for yeah. the hands-on piece, you say, all right, you know, stay tuned because you are momentarily going to be transformed or transported to a different place. Uh, you're going to have a group of people there, turn on your cameras, you're going to be unmuted, you should talk <laughs> to each other. And they get put in this space and we get to bounce back and forth across the rooms and check in and say hello and listen to the conversation. Oh, that sounds great. Of, uh, you know, people talking and chat and yeah, it's been working really well. That, uh, I, I need to try that. Um, one, one thing, one set of things I... I try and do is, I mean, I wrote in our show notes, do silly things, right? And and it's it's like have a bit of chutzpah and think, if I can wake the audience up out of their sort of leaning back comfort zone, maybe looking at a different screen, it's actually really engaging. And, it, you know, I've tried to do this in live presentations. Uh, but one example, I in, in sort of face-to-face presentations, I often will show uh, people what uh, version A or version B on a couple of slides. And I'll, I'll get the... I'll, I'll be like, okay, you guys over here, close your eyes, right? You know, and everyone's like, why am I closing my eyes? So they close their eyes and see what the other team see one thing. And um, what I'm showing is a chart with different types of color highlighting on and trying to make okay. the point that uh, depending on how you use, use color, I can completely control the conclusion. So how do you do that remotely? Well, I actually decided I'd just carry on doing it. So I'm, I'm like, okay, if your name begins with the letter A to M, close your eyes. Right. And then, I mean, I trust they're all closing their eyes. I have no idea. Um, and then, so then we go through the experiment. The other half opens their eyes, closes their eyes. And then just, just use the chat. You know, what, what did you see? And it works really well. People have given me amazing feedback on that because it's just out of the norm, right? It's not slide, words, words on slides, words on slides, words on slide. It's like, what? I've got to close my eyes. Okay. All right. What, what, uh, you know, so it's little things like that. Well, and then they're, they're involved, right? They're vested. It's a small yeah. thing, but now they're tuned in to see what you're going to do with that. Yeah. Uh, and another thing, you know, sometimes you, you're like, how do I, uh, I'll, I'll often in doing live presentations or workshops, you just like show two different styles of chart, right? You know, a beautiful one and a very functional one. And then you get people to have a conversation with each other and which do you like, what, which do you prefer and why? Uh, and that's always been an, just an enriching thing to get people involved. And then you think, okay, how can you do that remotely without it just becoming a free-for-all? So I prime people. It's like, okay, I want you to think of four words or five words you can type to describe why you like this thing. right? So then, so they're give, they're, you're giving them the instruction to do something, but it's really concise. And then you see the chat. The chat just floods up with all these opinions. Uh, and then people are back chatting and responding to them. So it's... It's about finding the engagement opportunities without a huge, you know, sometimes with a small investment of their time or investment of effort, I'm finding really effective. Yeah, absolutely. And and these ways of breaking up content, to your point, so it's not just Mm. slide after slide after Mm. slide. Speaking of slides, how are the materials that you're using different in a virtual environment? Are you still using slides? Yes and no. Um, (laughs) Great. I, I feel like I should give you more information than that. So turning the turning the screen share off as much as possibly can, I possibly can, right? I, I think so getting, people are looking at you and at each yeah, other. Yeah. Uh, so going to gallery view as much as you can. However, a lot of what I do is about, you know, helping customers learn about, you know, the principles of data, visual analysis. So one of the things that's been 
you know, so paramount in my mind the last three years as I think about presentations is it is my job as the presenter to ensure the audience knows exactly which part of a the slide they should be looking at at any given point. And, and I think that's even more important what now we're virtual. Uh, you know, so I, slide design, I'm, I'm trying to, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to turn PowerPoint into, you know, I'm building much richer animations within the slide decks. It's like, look at this bit and then transform, look at this bit. Look at, just, just build that animation just so they can follow things. You know, a principle you talk about at length in your books is about if we're going to present data or complex concepts, it's introduced it piece by piece by piece. And it's been really good thinking about how to do that in all the presentations I've built uh, and sort of transfer transferring them to a virtual environment. So, yeah, I, I think driving your audience's eyeballs is the key advice I'd give to people. Yeah. And motion is a great way to do that, right? And, and that's one of the things that we've been noticing as we're redesigning content to bring it virtual is that we're doing, we're doing many more builds, right? Like you talk about, mm. uh, uh, you know, start with the blank graph, talk about it, put on the axes, layer on data, but also just noticing when we're sitting on a slide for a while, mm. because in person, it doesn't matter if you're sitting on a slide for a while, because you can move around the room and speed up and slow down and do things with your cadence and your physical body to keep attention, right? Because people aren't necessarily just staring at the slide, they're looking at you. Versus when you are in a place where you have to keep doing the, the screen yeah. share and you're a tiny box in the corner. So we've been building in more motion. Uh, so not like the flying throbbing in, but <laughs> the appear, disappear, even uh, you know, there's some things that we do where we have somebody read a block of text for various reasons, right? It might be to get context or it yeah. might be to illustrate that reading blocks of text is hard, uh, but then we'll break that up and we're talking back through it to highlight a, a word or two so that people are just, they have something to follow along visually as they're listening to us. So it's not just a static screen yeah. where it's easier just to tune out, right? So I, I, I put a big quote on a presentation in chart chat a couple of weeks ago, and it was, it was a quote of about uh, maybe 25 words. I was like, well, if I just put this quote on the screen, everyone's going to read it before I read it. So I tried to build an animation that kind of changed the color to a highlight as at the speed at which I was reading the words. And I thought this is going to be great because they're going to be following. And then at the end, Steve was like, yeah, that, I find that build really distracting. Hmm. Uh, and, and what we couldn't work out was whether it was he was distracted because he was trying to pass, how did you do that in PowerPoint? Or whether it was actually distracting and, and so what we haven't worked out is to somebody who just was trying to consume the content, were they following along? Or was it, ah, that's a technical trick that I don't know how to do. So uh, the whole concept of adding builds, right? It's, it's with the great power comes great responsibility. You can go down the path and create a mess, but just use it wisely. And what do you use to figure that out, right? So certainly getting direct feedback like that can pause mm -hmm. us and cause us to pause and think about things. But and I've felt that too with ours of like, when is, when is enough enough? And, and when does it go beyond that to too yeah. much when it comes to builds and animation and getting that balance right? I uh, I mean, something I've done in live presentations and works in virtual is I ask, I give I, people in the audience, I, either somebody I know well or, or even an audience member I don't know very well, I might sort of prime them and say, look, I want you to be my honest feed, honest person giving feedback here you know I, I sort of empower you to tell me what you like and what you don't like here you know people who know me the best are often 
the most the ones who could give me the 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 really deep constructive feedback uh which is great right and so you sort of ask for people um and, and, and we've got into show notes and I'll talk about it now. You, you know, how, how can you try out these new techniques? How can you try out new things? It's like, well, just experiment, you know, have a go. You want, your career is never going to be judged on a single presentation, right? So try things out. Why am I saying that? Because then I might say, Steve, you know, in this next presentation, I'm going to try out this new text wrapping revelation animation. I want you to tell me what you think of that bit. So empower people you trust to give you the feedback you need to hear. Yeah, that's great advice. And I like the idea because I'll do that often with people after the fact, but without priming them ahead of time. And I think if you prime people ahead of time, hey, I'm going to be asking you to let me know how this thing worked or how you felt at this point. Yeah. When you felt less engaged or more engaged, that then they're paying more attention in those ways and can so, give better. Uh, oh, yeah. So so that's the thing. I think one, I, I, I mean, I've been presenting for 20 years. I remember getting graduate training in how to do presentation back in 1996. And uh, one of the hardest things it is, is to get honest feedback from people if you haven't primed them. Because for many people, they think, oh my God, he's presented. <gasps> that is the most amazing, terrifying thing I could ever imagine. So he wants my feedback. I'm like, well, Andy, it was great, right? And if I give him feedback that this whole bit in the middle was boring, then, you know, I'm, I'm insulting his entire persona and it's going to crush him. So I, I feel like people don't like giving honest feedback, right? So you've got to be like, look, Bring it on, right? Uh, I'm. I mean, I, I've I've developed a thick skin over over the years, and I've also dished out a lot of very constructive feedback to colleagues, so they are happy to give it back to me. All right. So we've talked about we talked about slides. We talked about motion. You've talked a little bit about some of the other things you're doing with. Well, I guess we mentioned polling, but didn't really talk about that much. But when you think of the materials and the way that you're encouraging people to interact, how's that looking different in the virtual space? Um, I, I, I think, I think we've kind of covered most of that. What am I saying? So I'm that whole aspect. You have one note actually that yeah. I want to dig into more, which is Go open the mic because ah. the, that part scares me. <laughs> yeah. So this, this specifically, um, has been in facilitation. I think it, it's partly the, the audience you're with. If, if I'm on an open web registration webinar or presentation, then I'm not going to open the mic. Um, but one of the, one of the things I've learned over the years is the less I can say, the more an audience will enjoy my presentation or enjoy the experience <laughs> of the presentation. Right. And my, my feedback has gone up the less I've said. Uh, and, and so when going to virtue, it's like, how can I, let's say I'm present, I've got a hundred people. I'm like, okay, this is a challenge. So I, it's like, okay, I'm going to prime people. Do you, you know, do you think, do you like this? chart or do you like this chart right and then if I'll, I'll say if you if you have an opinion type it in and if you want and i'll say okay cole let's open your mic tell me what you think and i'm happy doing that where i kind of know where the audience has come from um and it's not failed me yet <laughs> uh it could the, the inspiration for this was there's a show I recommend everybody listens to. It's on BBC Radio 4, and it's called The Public Philosopher. And I forget the name of it, but it's a philosophy podcast or show on Radio 4 where the professor, let's say the topic is um, citizenship. So the presenter knows the six things he wants to talk about, but he doesn't say anything. He just asks really difficult binary questions to the audience, and he gets them to raise their hands, and then he pitches one answer to the other. 
And then mm-hmm. he just subtly nudges them along. And then he gets to the end of the show and goes, we talked about this, 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 and this. And you all said it. And I, and I, I love that opinion attitude of realizing that your audience actually are incredibly intelligent. And when I've tried it virtually, it has not failed yet. And how are you how are you actually facilitating that virtually, right? Because it still feels like one of those that when you're in person, you can control it and you can get people involved. So uh, if we let's move if we talk a little bit to the facilitation aspect where uh, what some facilitation I've done is small groups. Uh, first of all, preparation. I know who my who the people are and what they want to get out of uh, the session. So the one I did most recently was about sustaining a data literate workforce, right, through through this crisis and beyond. So we had 10 guests. Uh, I, I, I had, we, we'd, we'd asked them for what they wanted to get out of, the, out of this round table. So I knew I was going to ask for all the seven or eight questions. I knew each question was hitting two or three people's outputs for the, for the webinar. Then it was like, okay, I'm going to, let's talk about finding new, new recruits, right, or whatever the question was. But again, I did this thing. I'd be like, Cole, I'm going to come to you first. You know, and then I introduced the topic. Cole, what would you like to say? Then that would open the mic. And then, what? Then while that person is answering, I'm then looking at the gallery view, thinking, well, I can see somebody nodding. So it's like, okay, uh, Randy, I saw you were nodding. Or oh, Randy, you were shaking your head. Would you like to contribute? And then up they come. And then again, just doing breaking it between each topic being like okay who agreed with what we saw what we were just talking about everybody raised their hand if you agreed and then then suddenly you've got five people you can come to so you're still working to get the same sort of visual cues that you would have if you were yeah. in a room with people yeah. absolutely and 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 it is amazing isn't it? you know you know mobile phones have been a blessing to presenters right because <laughs> controversial statement right because i know if i'm on stage and i can see about a third of the audience looking at the phones that's a really powerful piece of feedback. I also know if everybody's taking a photo of a slide, I've clearly made a very good slide. Um, so phones are great. We don't have that virtually. But what you do have, you can see where that. You can make a good guess where people's eyes are. Uh, so if, if lots of cameras are on, you can see, oh, hang on, everyone's looking over there. They've all gone down. So you're like, okay, it's time to you know, re, re move on or just wake everybody up or something. And then do you, because so in a room, when you see people, you know, you see someone pick up their phone, you can actually, as a facilitator, do sneaky things like walk over closer to that person and continue talking and they yeah. put their phone down. You lose that third dimension, right? We've we're become flattened in the virtual environment. So are there things that you do differently with yourself as a result of that, with your voice or your Body motion. Uh, I those who could. I'm standing up now, and I believe you are too. I think uh, I'm sitting, but I'm at a high desk. Ah, very good. Right. I so I've got a adjustable high desk, and again, that's one of the benefits for me that I've been working at home for a long time. Uh, so I, I find standing up brings energy to me. One of some of the things you can do if you're remote and you have more than one screen, you know, it's actually quite easy to think if if you're seeing people drift off, you know, you've got a lot of things around you can bring different applications in or skip slides a lot easier just 
go to go to the end of the section you're on. Yeah, the standing is a good one. The and it's funny because so when I, when I'm presenting something, and particularly if it's running along the course of the lessons that we teach, because I'm so used to being standing that it feels weirdly constraining to be sitting. So like mm. the live events that we're doing, where it's more of a produce sort of deal for those standing, it just it yeah. gives you when you're when you're live, it gives you a different sense of presence and control in the room. And yeah. I, I think. There's some piece of that that translates even when it, it's a camera you're talking to instead of a group of faces. Yeah, and I, I think what what a lot of people say to me is like, well, it's really weird. I'm in, I'm in my room. How can I present this to people? I'm just looking at a webcam, right? And 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 that is difficult. And I think that's something I've just learned over the years to be like, just look at your webcam, but pretend it's a hundred people, right? Yes. I, I've just learned that skill over time. I don't know quite how I first developed that skill. I don't know how I got over that hump, but there is that. Just just imagine you're speaking to 100 people. Well, and there are hacks there, right? Where you let you put a picture of somebody or anytime that you can be setting up the view of a video call so that you can see other people. Yeah. That's the ideal, right? So that you can be talking to the camera, but also see people nodding or smiling or to your point earlier, see them you know, pick up their phone or go to their email and turn to do something else. Yeah. So in fact, what I'm, I'm going to take a photograph uh, of, ugh, of my screen. Right. So uh, I can see Andy, for those yeah. listening, he's got his phone right. up. He's taking a picture of the screen. <laughs> because what I want people to see, so we'll have to share, we'll have to share that is, is yeah. your, so I, my, my webcam is on top of my monitor. I've got things set up so that your face is right beneath my webcam. Uh, yeah, I've right minimized my right. own. Yeah. I've minimized my face as much as I can, because I think it's very easy to look at yourself as you're talking. Yeah. Uh, I've got the note the you know, the notes we've got, we've got for this, episode off to the far side of the screen and that all of that helps me keep my eye on the camera yeah actually i'm gonna take a picture too because this will be fun to do our side by side right yeah because i could look on this monitor in fact no i'm gonna look at the camera (laughs) yeah so it's just a case put 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 the people where the camera is as far as you can. What about length? Are you adjusting length because you know how draining it can be to stare at a screen for a long amount of time Uh, this is the, the, uh, yes, right. So you know when you came on, if data could talk, we we said we're just going to do a fifteen minute chat, and I think we came in at twenty, and we got to the end of it. The two of us were like, "Well, that was quick," yeah. and actually, yes, it is quick. Um, so I think it, it's been really hard to get des- guests on that show and be like, "Look, we're just going to we just want fifteen minutes." And is your your fifteen minutes is because you want to keep them short and snappy yep. so that you keep people's attention yep. in this environment? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then chart chat. I'm always torn with chart chat because I I've always felt oh it's hours a bit long. We don't see much drop off in the audience once they're on. So you know I think that works out because we do three fifteen minute segments on a on a bigger sort of corporate level. We've Tableau was acquired by Salesforce and now we get involved in the big Salesforce events. And Salesforce has been really interesting because as they're moving to virtual, and in fact, even beforehand to, to a degree, they're like, no breakout sessions in conference events are longer than 20 minutes. You know, only Mark Benioff gets to do an hour and a half keynote. Everybody else, you only get 20 minutes. You know, and that's the TED Talk format. And it's actually really good. I really enjoy the challenge of thinking, oh, I've, I've got this content. How can I possibly reduce this amazing, enlightening content to just 20 minutes? And then you do it. And then you think, oh, it was. <laughs> I always went on too long when I was doing it for an hour. 
so yeah, Salesforce is mandating we reduce our presentation time for that kind of content. Well, and there are, there are benefits to that, right? Of that constraint. And then you're forced to pick out the most salient points you want to make and, and yeah. be more direct in your thinking and your approach. Yeah. And, and a presentation, I mean, what you're trying to do in a presentation, I'm not, I'm not trying to give you the kind of content you would get in a book. You know, your book, Storytelling with Data, you know, there's, well, your work, there's hours and hours and hours of brilliant things I could learn from that. But really in a, in a presentation, you're just giving the inspiration, right? Yeah. All right. Let's do. Let's let's shift up the pace here, and I want to go into more of a lightning round where I'm going to okay. throw things at you, and I just want your reaction. And if you want to lend some context, that's fine. And I kind of laugh because I've tried this before, and the lightning round ends up sometimes going on for yeah. very long. There's at least one of these questions that is is going to take a while to answer. All right. So cameras, microphones. Do you use what's built into your computer or fancy external stuff? Uh, well, if, if you're doing this an awful lot, you need an external microphone. Yeah. No, I'm just curious because I can't see yours. Where is it positioned? Right now it's, it's on, I'm now holding the microphone very close to my mouth. Yeah. So it's movable on my desk. I do. And need so it's on a tripod sitting in front of you. Yep. Mine for the record comes up and over. It's like just out of the screen. Here I, I need, I, I need a boom because it's not very practical here. Camera? Are you using your computer camera or you have an external one? I've got a Logitech uh, high-def camera. Again, if I prioritized one, I'd have the microphone over the better camera. But once you get into production levels of actually doing a regular series, you a camera and a microphone are vital, I think. Absolutely. What about special lighting? Yeah, it's, it's, it's yes, special lighting. And I actually... I mean, I, it's not. It's not bad. I've got. I've got a really nice light, big strip light that I actually. It's a desk light I've had for ten years, and it's actually not bad. The problem I have in the moment with, with my office at the moment is I've got a, this time of day. It's you know we're late in the mid afternoon in the UK. I've got the sun comes streaming in. Mm -hmm. I haven't yet got a blind on the window, so uh, yes to good lighting, and I need to fix mine. Yeah, I, th I sometimes joke that part of the reason that Randy, my husband, likes to do these sort of things and the the podcast is so that he can get lots of fun equipment. So uh, lights has been a new thing for us lately. So I've got I've got a ring light in front of me, sort of off over here, and then a highlight over there that has a much more technical name than that that I don't know. To get some <laughs> oh, depth, it looks in great. It, it looks good, great. Good light from the window. Good lighting, <laughs> yeah, makes a difference for sure. Uh, and what about, so I already, I already know your answer to this, but I'm curious in your thoughts still around this, but for your background, do you use what's in the room or a blank slate? Well, every, anybody on who's looking at watching this live or has seen me do any webinars will know my, my office is adorned with pictures from my, well, each, each one has a story. Uh, and the mini wall i imagine you're really easy to pick out in the gallery view because i always i I've, i almost feel like i'm in the room with you when when we do these things because yeah. a distinct color on the walls well it's funny yeah so the, it's a lime green wall right and the, and that i i love this color and it's, it just happened to be we had a spare paint can left over from the color we painted my younger daughter's room but i really like this color and a lot of people said oh yeah you, it's distinct um so i know uh, my i'm an extrovert so i i love having the big detailed background i really like seeing other people's detailed backgrounds uh you know it, it's just it's interesting right I, I find that interesting but it doesn't mean you need one right i i you know i, I there's a lot of beige and white backgrounds and 
I'm actually reluctant to say anything about what is right and wrong because actually a lot of people are stuck with what they have, right? And possibly aren't going to, you know, hoping to end, get out of this situation as soon as they can. Personally, I like the nice back. I like the nice backgrounds. Yeah, I think it gives it gives person right. You get to see a, a glimpse mm-hmm. of somebody's life in a way that can yeah. be uh, interesting. The where we've gone away from what's in the background is when we have multiple people presenting, and when the slot when there's a decent amount of stuff going on on the slides, just so the backgrounds don't become yeah. distracting. So like. Yeah. And we did a workshop a couple of weeks ago where the whole team was there or, you know, was in various parts around the country, but where we all had a nondescript background just so that people would either be focusing on us or yeah. on the content or in the, the live events. We'll do that a lot because it's usually me paired with the slide. And yeah. I, just, I don't want that to be distracting. I, I was on a, on a Salesforce event a couple of weeks ago and there was one guy presenting and he, he was obviously standing really close to his desk and right behind him. He had a, uh, literally right behind him, he had like a, a, a banner which covered the entire camera with Salesforce on it. And and it looked really odd because because there was no distance behind him. It was, it was like, he was right up against it. And it obviously wasn't a wall. So he wasn't in an office. And, you know, I'm always going to assume positive reasons. I, maybe he's just in an environment where whatever is behind that wall is just not who knows what was by the way there's one of the things that we've used that's actually quite slick is there these massive rolls of paper they're used for uh like uh on scene like model shooting and i think like that but where uh, you just need a couple of stands and then it's like a massive roll of butcher paper unroll behind you uh, that can be an easy and relatively inexpensive solution for someone who does have something going on in their background that they want to Yeah, play. absolutely. It, 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 that one just looked odd because he was so close to it. Yeah. It, it. It seemed like he was really narrowly constrained. But yeah, I, 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 I'm interested in what other people think about detailed or not backgrounds because um, I think that's very personal as well. Yeah, for sure. What about tech platform of choice when it comes to presenting virtually? Uh, well, they all have their quirks and strengths and weaknesses. Uh, Zoom has kind of been the one which seems to have the great balance of features, ease to ease of use. Yeah, we've been using Zoom for everything that we're doing and been, for the most part, really happy with it. Uh, what do you do to get camera ready? Any quirky habits or rituals? Uh, yeah, I I do jump around. You, you know, I've I've been extremely... I've been extremely lucky in my job at Tableau to to be able to present on keynote stages. And you, you know, I host IronVis, right? I, I get to go on stage in front of five to ten thousand people and put on a show. And the thing you learn from that, you know, we've had a lot of investment in speaker coaching and and you know, and that kind of training, and just their attitude to just bringing the energy up before you start something. Uh, now, I, I, do I do that before every time I go on a remote presentation? In my day job, no, I don't. But I, what sort of things would you be advised to do, or have you been coached to do in the in a scenario like that? Uh, st- stretching, standing, you know, adopt the power pose. Uh, the things that kind of feel strange, uh, but you, you know, do some stretching, shout a bit, uh, hug everybody. Power pose, by the way, for those who may not be familiar, there's different ones, but it's like hands over the head or yeah. like. Superman sort of like, yeah, does something with blood flow. and Yeah. And I actually did that at the start of the presentation. I was, I was in a, 
an all day team meeting uh, and I was like third on. So it was 1130 in the morning and we'd had two and a half hours of presentation. And I was like, okay, everybody stand up, everybody stretch, everybody turn around, look behind you. Uh, and people are like, oh, that was really good. Thanks for that. Uh, the other thing I have, which I can't show you and people on the podcast can't see anyway, but I actually have a remote control light bulb outside my home office because the kids were just walking in at inopportune moments. So now, right now, there is a flashing LED light bulb outside my home office. So that's mm-hmm. the other thing I do when I get ready is go, daddy's on air, do not interrupt. And uh, do they respect it? Uh, yes, they have actually. <laughs> they have, it has been good. It, they, they they enjoy the concept and it's a very visual clue. It's like, oh yeah, daddy's on air. I love it. I'm going to need to do that, I think, for myself. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, was there anything that you wanted to talk about related to presenting virtually that we haven't covered? We've been sort of all over the place. Yeah, I just, you know, if people are thinking about how they can improve their own their own presentations or diving in or having a go, you know, just practice, right? Nobody's, I think people are more forgiving in this situation and there's loads of places you can go and present in informal safe environments right to your team uh, i suppose some people might find that highly intimidating but you know user groups uh, whether it's tableau user groups or storytelling with data user groups or just those community events like that you can dive in so just practice find the person who could give you the honest feedback because it's really important to get honest feedback about your presentation skills and don't be afraid to experiment if you've been doing a lot of presentations over the years Try throw yourself out of the comfort zone, like you did, Cole. You, you know, you didn't like you have been reluctant to get into virtual training, and it's like, well, we we got foot that that function was forced, right? Survival's dependent on it. Yeah, into <laughs> things, but yeah, in ways you can learn something new. Uh, but but it's just a different different things. You you've always you know if you've ever thought, I wonder if I present this data, or do this presentation, or this slide section this way. Well, just try it, right? Try it. Yeah, might not work, but you'll never know unless you have a go. Yes, I love it. Okay, so this has been a really fun conversation and those are awesome closing tips and you've given us so many tips throughout the conversation today, right? But that's a great way to sum things up, I think. Practice, get feedback, experiment, right? And and learn from, learn from the successes, learn from the failures, like in everything that we do. So Andy, I want to say thank you very much for joining me here today. You mentioned a number of resources. We'll make sure we get all of those into the show notes. Um, to those listeners, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave a review and share with a friend. And with that, be sure to follow at Story with Data on Twitter and Instagram. Also check out all of the great resources at storytellingwithdata.com. Andy, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Cole. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening. <laughs>